All right. Well, let's let's get down to it. Mayfield, I want to thank you for being here today. I've really enjoyed the conversations uh, that we've had up until this point, and I'm looking forward to this one. Could you tell us a little bit about why you're here in Prescott right now? Yeah, I was invited to Prescott College to teach uh, part of a block class that focused on dance, improvisation, and social justice. Okay. And you was uh you were invited by Jay Ruby, who's also yes. an instructor here? Yeah. Okay. How how long have you and Jay known each other? Jay, <laughs> for all those you listening, Jay's Jay's a friend of mine. So. <laughs> uh Jay and I wrote uh sorry, Jay and I uh met each other in San Francisco oh. when I was an artist, dancer, you know, just kind of making my way yeah. there. And we met at a space called uh, 848 Community Space, which was pretty much a radical performance space. You know, there were uh, folks there who really saw performance and dance as a, a radical intervention um, in kind of how we might live our everyday lives. Yeah. Uh, folks like Keith Hennessy, who who is a self-proclaimed like queer anarchist uh, circus performer, um, and I've worked with Keith, and so that is that was Keith's space, and Jay happened to be there one particular evening, and there was a, a dance off, and and that's kind of like how a we met. Off, huh? All right, that's cool. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was how we met, and and uh, you know we kind of had been out of touch for a long time, but he tracked me down and, and, and found me and was like, Hey, I, I really like what you're doing, you know, with your work. I've been kind of following you and keeping up with it. And so, yeah. And so a lot of the stuff that you're doing, well, not a lot of stuff, but like the, your work really centers around, um, uh, movement based, right? Yes. Like how people move in relationship to each other and, and the sort of things that are brought up, right. Mm -hmm. For the, not just for the people who are the performers, but also for the audience too. Mm -hmm. So I guess part of what, um, I mean, if you could tell us a little bit more about how you've sort of worked that into the, into the class, mm -hmm. I think that that would, I, I would be very interested in hearing that. Yes. Yes. My overall project is improvising while black okay. and it came out of my own experience of being racially profiled in San Francisco. I had been driving while black one night <laughs> And I was stopped by a police officer on a motorcycle. And before I knew it, I was in handcuffs and put into a, a little cell in the Presidio uh, National Park of yeah. San Francisco. I had been driving home. It was probably like past midnight. And the... Presidio is is very desolate. There, no one lives there, right? It's it's like kind of a memorial to the military to colonialism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like you know the 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 history of yeah. the military presence yeah. in San Francisco, yeah. which I think you know mid century was very like important at that time because they were protecting that that West Coast. 
And so here I am, you know, just trying to get home late night. The speed limit in the Presidio is like, you can't go over like 15 miles an hour. Dang. I was going probably like 25, right? Okay. And that's why I got stopped. Yeah. So. I have a story I'll tell you later. Yeah. I have a similar situation. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm like, you know, sitting in, in my little car. Policeman comes up. You know, he could have just given me a ticket. But he decided to, you know, do a background check. Yeah. Um. Turns out I had some kind of traffic ticket on my, in that background check. And before I knew it, he had called up backup. But like I said, you know, I was handcuffed and put into a cell. Yeah. And then after that, they moved me to the jail downtown. I remember being put in a police car with two white cops and they they started blasting heavy metal music. And I'm sitting there in the back just like, okay, they're just trying to intimidate me. Then they put me in the, you know, cell again. And, you know, I was like being moved. It was, it was, it was wild. How long did they have you in custody? I was in custody for overnight. I mean, I didn't get picked up. I didn't get my call until a couple hours in. And then by the time... I got my call. I wasn't able to be released until the next morning. Right. And so, you know, after that, I was like, what the hell just went on? Yeah. What just happened? Went to the police station for my court date. They were literally like, I went to the criminal court because I thought that that was, that's what it said on my ticket. Yeah. And I got there. They're like, what are you doing here? They're we don't have you on record here. Yeah. They're like, you need to go to the traffic court. I went to the traffic court. They're like, what are you doing here? Like this, this, this whole thing has been adjudicated. There's nothing here. Like nothing, you know, then I went to the police station and luckily I talked to a black woman there and I was like, look, I told her the whole story. She's like, you know what? I'm so sorry. It was probably just a young police officer, like fulfilling his quota for arrests. I said, I, they put me in two jails. Yeah. Like, for a, a traffic, traffic ticket, ticket yeah. that I had gotten, like, five years ago. Yeah. And she was like, it, this should have never happened. And I, I can't, but I can't do anything about it. Because they erased everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from that moment on, I was like, I've had relatives in prison. You know, I... I I've been in prisons. You know, if you're a black person, (laughs) usually you have somebody who you have to go visit. True. Um, I know that's true in my family. Yeah. Yeah. Or a person of color, right? I never realized that it could be like one night could just completely erase you from the face of the planet. Like, I just was like, okay. Now I know what it's like, you yeah. know, to to be a captive body, to be um, totally erased. No one knew where I was. And, you know, when that whole thing went down with Sandra Bland, I was like, wow, that could have been me. And so improvising while black came out of 
that experience that I felt in my body because mm. I'm a dancer. And I was like, I cannot dance anymore without acknowledging this state of being a captive body. Right. And so it just developed and it, and it, and evolved from the, the lived embodied experience of being imprisoned and into dancing. Yeah. And so I found it as a way to explore all of the different threads of blackness in you know in an embodied sense. Yeah. Disorientation um was is a, is huge. Like just dancing uh by limiting the senses, the sensory field and going into that state. And then I realized, you know, I started connecting it to experiences that I had had growing up. I grew up in the church, in the Pentecostal church. And I started connecting it to the way that people would get slayed out in the spirit or start speaking in tongues. Mm. And, and, yeah. and all of these like kind of somatic bodily experiences that were very much a part of my upbringing. And I was like, wow, this is dance. What I've been doing, even though, you know, my mom took me out of the tap dance class and the acrobatics and all of the dance classes when I was little because she found God. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, that's worldly. Yeah. Here we go in the church and mm. we're like, people are like getting hands laid on them. They're yeah. speaking in tongues. They're in their bodies. Yeah. And so when I was, as I've been developing Improvising While Black as a dance practice, you know, my background in dance is contemporary, modern. Um, you know, I've, I've done all kinds of forms, Afro-Brazilian, Afro-Haitian, Capoeira. But what really stuck with me was this kind of, this idea of survival. What does a body do when it needs to survive? Wow. And that's... That's, that's deep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> That that just really hit me. Yeah, please continue. And so, you know, Capoeira is a great example because Capoeira came out of Africans who were basically trying to keep their bodies in shape while they were in chains. Yeah. Literally, right? The movements are close to the ground, you know, really powerful movement. And so... For me, with as I as I've been developing improvising while black, I came to the realization that these practices, these some of them very somatic, you know, mm -hmm. like the way people use breath, the way people use breath in church. Mm -hmm. You know, you if you ever get to watch Aretha Franklin sing, and the way that she uses her breath, like that is a technique. Yeah. You know, when with gospel music, you don't use your breath the way you use your breath when you're singing other music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so, you know, and I grew up with all of that. And, and I and I started to think of it in terms of survival, in terms of an ex expansive uh, kind of almost like, you know, the way that you can 
really move, but yet within a very confined experience. Right. So in dealing with oppression, how do we move? How do we shape shift? How do we breathe? You know, and these are all questions that I started exploring when I went to grad school and just started reading and reading and, 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 and moving and moving. I couldn't read and write without moving. Right. And so improvising while black just became the thing that I was doing. And then I'm like, oh, this is my practice. Yeah. This is what I'm going to be sharing with people wherever I go. Because if I don't share this, I'm not being true to what it feels like to be in captivity. Yeah. And I'm paying homage to the Sandra Blands of the world. Mm. The ones that never did get any news coverage. Uh, I'm playing, paying homage to my queer ancestors like Marsha P. Johnson. You know, I'm paying homage to uh, James Baldwin, who had to leave this country in order to write. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Asada Shakur, who, who, who was able to escape this country in order to, to do her work in the world. And so, you know, when I go into a, a, a classroom or when I teach a workshop, that's all there. I, I speak to it immediately. I speak to whatever the situation is and the place where I am when I was in Phoenix. It's like we talked about the border. We talked about walls. So how do you dance with that? How do you dance with a wall? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when yeah. you have like active, people are actively trying to keep you out of a conversation out of a, of a country, you know, like, how do you, how do we dance with that? And, um, acknowledging land as a way to, or, or ground as a way to find some answers, yeah. you know, for, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any mistake that we use the word grounding as a way to kind of center ourselves and our nervous systems. But that is an indigenous, that's indigenous knowledge. Yeah. But like in the, the larger world of dance, no one really is, 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 is uh, acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. Ground. In order to dance, you have to have ground. But do we acknowledge the ground? Do we acknowledge the earth yeah. before we dance? And so that to me is like part of improvising while black. It's like wherever I am, I am going to acknowledge ground because that's what that's what we're going to be dancing on. Right. And I'm also going to acknowledge the experience that I'm bringing from my life into this room. Yeah. And I'm going to invite you to speak from your experience with a very uh intentional connection to ancestors. Yeah. And that 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 to me is like how we can actually come into a space together. It will never be comfortable. Right. Because there is no comfort in really like experiencing what's in the body when we're 
in a historical conundrum that has not been resolved. That's a really cool way of putting that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Hold on a second. A historical conundrum that hasn't been solved. Yeah, that's true. Wow. I can really, I can actually really relate to that. I know that in my own classrooms, I try to do something very similar. We don't do a lot of movement in, in my classes. Maybe we should do more, actually, now mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about it. But this whole idea of comfort level, you know, I just uh, was talking with a student just the other day, and one of the things that they said was, we're doing a class about race and identity in, in cinema, and one of the things that they were saying about the class was that they appreciated the fact the discussions in the class were very straightforward and there was no like dancing around the issue. What you've just been saying, I really try to think about it the same way. There is a historical conundrum that has not been resolved. And until we find a way to deal with that, right? Comfort only adds to the status quo. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more comfortable we make each other, sometimes the more civil we are with each other, mm -hmm. like civility is a, um, an aid to the status quo. Mm -hmm. So really thinking that through and pushing people in this direction. I mean, I think this is, I think that what you're talking about is fantastic. The whole idea of doing this, you know, through movement is, is really cool. I'm sure that you've seen breakthroughs. Like, is there any particular one or any particular instance that you can think of where you were just like, damn, that that's like, that's what's up. Like, that's what this is about. I had the students here at Prescott that I've been working with, you know, through Jay, I had them do rants, like verbal ranting. Really? I said, choose one issue that you're fired up about. Yeah. That is really bothering you. I'm like, it can be anything. I don't even care if it's a mosquito about the mosquitoes, right? Like, but anything. And one student did choose mosquitoes, but like... <laughs> There ain't no mosquitoes in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't care what it is. Yeah. As long as you can rant about it. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And it just started from that. And then I was like, okay, you have your rant. What is a gesture? A gesture that expresses this. And then, you know, one student had the gesture of like her hand pun punching her fist. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And that became her dance from that. Okay. You know, another student who has been really upset about climate change and about, you know, the administration, the government, just totally denying it, right? Like climate denial, right? Right. And her gesture was just like hands up in the air and the question, why? Like, why? Yeah. Right. So that was that, you know, that happened. And then the next day we go to class and we're doing these gestures. Mm -hmm. And the one student who was really like upset about politicians ignoring climate change couldn't do it in front of the class. It was mm -hmm. like she just couldn't bring herself to, to get angry about it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was like, well, go to the window and do it. Like, just just. Leave, go, don't look at us. Yeah. And so she goes to the window, and I think a couple of us followed her to the window. And what do we see outside? Trump supporters with flags. Oh, yeah. 
signs mm-hmm. on the corner. Then she got mad. Yeah, yeah. Because there it was, mm-hmm. right in her face. And so after that, everybody's like, well, why don't we go outside and do our gestures to them? Nice. And that, you know, it took a while, you know, we kind yeah. of talking about it. And we did it. And she, she was the leader. Yeah. You know, and it became real. And we did it in complete silence. And they reacted. Yeah. They were, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, are you praying? Are you doing this? So the students performed their gestures in silence. There was the, the why gesture, hands in the air. And it was so seamless and it was so beautiful. And it was, it's funny because there were a few of them that were like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. And by the end, they were all doing it. Yeah. And, you know, we even did the fist in the air, yeah. solidarity. And yeah, the, you know, the folks across the street, they were yelling at us and calling us names and <laughs> yeah. all kinds of stuff. I've seen those guys in action. It's like, okay. The students just held their ground yeah. and just kept standing really strong in their own power. Right. In their conviction. Mm-hmm. And in less than 15 minutes, all of the Trump supporters were gone. Really? Isn't that interesting? You know... Trump had a when he was still when he was running for president in 2016 he had a um a rally here in uh Prescott Valley and uh, the students uh, really wanted to um go to the rally and present a um like an opposition to him and so we had a lot of conversations about it and you know that was at the height of the violence you know that was going on like in his campaign rallies and stuff like that and I mean, I also wanted to go too, but I, I mean, for a lot of reasons, one of them just being that I feel very responsible for my students. Mm-hmm. I was like, we need to really think this through yes. how we're going to do this um, because it doesn't make any sense for us all to go there and get our asses kicked. Like that makes no sense at all. Right. We put together a whole program that we were going to do and we did a press conference and uh, the students were there. And we made an agreement among ourselves that we would not engage the Trump supporters in um, arguments. But what we also agreed on was that we would engage in uh, group singing while we were there. Yes. Now, as corny as that might sound, I can tell you that a hundred voices saying the same thing drowns out everything else that's happening around there Mm -hmm. to the point that the people that were on the other side of the fence Mm -hmm. started to sing also. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they were doing it at that moment out of like ridicule or they were trying to mock them or whatever, Mm -hmm. it actually doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because what they did was they lend their voices to this, to this thought, right. Mm -hmm. Or to this idea, you know, I thought it was really good. We got coverage in uh, the state and regional uh, media as having had a a counter protest Mm -hmm. in Yavapai County, which is one of the, one of the reddest counties in the country. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what I was trying to say to them. And, 
you know, the, I think the kids here are very savvy about things like that in terms of thinking through, uh, strategy, you Mm -hmm. know, but I think it's interesting, but I am not surprised Mm -hmm. that, um, because there's no, you know, my wife is a, is a therapist and she does a lot of body work, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I learned from her a long time ago and you know, when she first said it to me, I was, I, I really rejected it, but I, I understand now why I rejected it, mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't ready to deal with that notion either. But this whole idea of resistance equals desire, you know, and that the more you resist something, the more that you actually desire it. And I can, I can see how it plays out. These students go out there, they they stand firm, like you said, in their own power, they're doing these movements, but these people who are opposed to them, they have, they, they literally have nowhere to put their energy. Yes. It just stays in their own body yeah. because these kids are not, I mean, they're doing this thing. And at a certain point, that energy that they can't pass on to somebody else mm-hmm. just is going to overwhelm them mm-hmm. and they're going to have to leave. You know, no, it's fucking brilliant, man. It was I mean, brilliant. yeah. And the fact that they, and so... What is also really beautiful about how it all evolved is that Jay and I, we, we had, you know, we, we talked about how to contextualize yeah. social justice yeah. for these students, mm-hmm. some who, you know, had just been kind of displaced from their Green Mountain College right. and, and, you know, and of course the Prescott students and how to contextualize it within the context of performance. Yeah. And so I said, we got to get some readings. Yeah. So we, so I assigned uh, letters from a Birmingham jail to them, the Martin Luther King uh, letter, which talked about direct action, putting our bodies on the line. I assigned uh, an excerpt from Asada Shakur's autobiography, which again, you know, talked about her experience being imprisoned, but also writing poetry yeah. from that experience and, and, and claiming her, her, her power, yeah. you know, claiming her power in, in, a, in, in an untenable situation and then escaping that yeah. situation. Literally. Like literally, literally you know, and, um, the other two readings, uh, Ceremony, Leslie mm. Marmon, Marmon Silco, which really spoke to the, the theft. Yeah. Uh, particularly of, you know, this land, the yeah. Southwest and, and the, and the Hopi, uh, people and the, the magic mm. that, 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 that people can conjure on land yeah. when they come together yeah. and they, they invoke the ancestors. And um, the other reading was The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle, Dismantle the Master's House by Audre Lorde. And those readings backed up their rants and the gestures. Yeah. And so they had a foundation and they had been engaging in stories about putting bodies on the line. And we talked about it. We were really just literally having the conversation of like, how do we put our bodies on the line? Yeah. And so when they went out there 
and stood their ground, they knew what they were doing. Right. It wasn't out of context. It was very clear. Yeah. And you never know what to expect. Yeah. Right? But when all, every single one of those flags disappeared and we were standing there in our power, it was like, at that point, nothing can stop you. Yeah. Because, because it's just so clear yeah. that all of that negative, violent energy, um, all of the aggression that yeah. comes with the hatred that is being spewed from, you know, from the rhetoric yeah. of uh, white nationalism and, and Trumpism, it just dissipated. It's, it's interesting to think, for me anyways, to, well, it's interesting for me to think back on my own life because it's my own life. But, <laughs> <laughs> or, um, but I mean, to think back and look at the, the, the sort of direct actions that were, that were really successful, right? Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the ones that are really successful are the ones that uh, do exactly th that, right? The, the singing, you know, the, the sort of silent confrontation with the movements, but also having it be, you know, contextualized, right? You know, it's just going out there moving. There's a, there's a, I'm doing this movement for a specific reason. And this is one of the things I really try to get across to my students that I'm working with, my, my organizing students, is that there are multiple ways to disrupt something, Right. And I understand the appeal of that sort of like confrontational direct action. I mean, even now at 53, I still understand that appeal. Um, but I also know too that that's, that's the one that everybody's ready for. You know, they're ready for you to come get in their face and, you know, tell them they're a piece of shit and they're wrong and they're stupid and all of that. Now they're not just ready for it. They want it. You know, like they, that's, that's what they're looking for. And I mean, and to really think about you know, how a movement forces people into a space of being uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Or how singing just wins people over. I mean, I, I'm not saying any of those people left that place and they stopped being white nationalists or they stopped being Trump supporters or whatever. But for that moment, mm -hmm. right, the conversation was done, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there was, there was no way for them individually to overpower the voices that were were singing out. Mm -hmm. So I mean they they were forced to join. If they wanted to be heard, they were forced to join. Right. And I think that there's there's a lot to be said for creative thinking when it comes to confrontation, right? I think the first thing that any kind of nationalist kind of hegemonic <laughs> movement or if you think about fascism, the first thing that they come after is the imagination. Yeah. And so... Well, they have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They have to. And so how, how do we keep our imaginations active yeah. and ready to work? I'm not talking about like, oh, I have an imagination. No. How, how do we engage our imagination to actually work for us and not let it go dull. Yeah. Because that there's so much power in that. And when you're up against 
the kind of powerful mechanism like a president in a in a you know yeah literally like when you're up against the rhetoric of hatred yeah you know of totalitarianism that's stressful <laughs> yes it is stressful yeah especially when you can see it coming yeah and you're just like what 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 can we do to stop this how do we how do we stop this yeah from happening and it, it just seems like so many people i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that they're welcoming it but they certainly feel powerless in the face of it you know like oh, there's just there's nothing that we can do about it right yeah and so to harness the imagination and to be a witness an active witness yeah to this kind of you know to be an, an active witness to what's going on in the world every day not just by reading the news yeah not just by you know i don't know looking on facebook but to really witness yeah. and that's part of also improvising while black that's a huge part of what i'm working on right now i'm calling it the witness witnessing project okay can i get a witness and i bring that into the into the workshops and, and into into the conversations that i'm having with folks because right now witnessing needs to be an active pursuit of justice yeah witnessing can be an active pursuit of justice. But we have to understand what that what that is and what that means. To witness something is not just to look at it right. or to see it or to be a voyeur mm -hmm. or to check it out. Right. To witness something is to be with what is. Yeah. It is to be with it actively and to take notes and to it's it's also part of standing your ground. Right. Because if you're not witnessing it in a way that is active, you're actually not going to see anything. Yeah. You know, and that's that's why, you know, all of these movements uh that engage the senses, right? Mm -hmm. Like you 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 all were singing. Yeah. Um if you think about any movement, witnessing had to be a part of it. In order, one, to write down what was happening. Right. Because you have to record what is happening in order to know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, witnessing your own reaction mm -hmm. so you can be ready. Yeah. You know, so you can be on point. Yeah. And also witnessing how that person that might be coming at you in this kind of really aggressive way that, you know, who who you might see as your enemy. Yeah. Really witnessing that so that you have information and you have tools to fight back. Yeah. To stand your ground. Yeah. And I and, and fighting back, I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, like Nina Simone said, right? Like Nina Simone <laughs> was one of these people who never held her tongue. And she paid for it. Yeah. And she's like, I, I was never uh, a, a nonviolent person. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? And she said it right out. And yet that wasn't her her focus. Yeah. But it's kind of like when you're dealing with violence that's coming at you, what do you do? Yeah. What are the questions that come up? How do we witness what is coming up for us in our hearts and in our spirits and in our souls? Yeah. How do we witness like the actual feeling of wanting to punch somebody in the face yeah. when they're, you know, coming at you in that, in that same way? Yeah. How, how can you be with that and actually be honest with where you are in that moment and be honest about what is coming at you? Yeah. How can I, in my work, be honest about the fact that I was in a prison for no reason, handcuffed. Yeah. For no reason. Right. And and I that I was I was so angry. I wasn't yeah. broken. Yeah. I wanted to fight. Yeah. And so I'm I don't in my work, I don't want to turn away from the actual feelings, the actual sensations that come up when folks are faced with these real issues and you know i don't want to be the person that's like oh well let's just ignore what's coming up for you right and so part of the witnessing is a way to embrace everything that is happening in the moment for that person and so in the class what will what i'll what i'll offer to people is the tool yeah the question when you're ready you can say can i get a witness as soon as you say, can I get a witness? People are going to show up and they're going to, they are going to be there to witness you. They're going to be, they're going to witness you wherever you are. If you need to sit there and you need to just be quiet, that's great. If you need to scream, that's your dance. If you need to like, <laughs> yeah, you know, do a, a dance that expresses where you are right now, that's going to be witnessed. But the key is you ask for it. And so how many of us are asking for a witness right now? Mm. And so that's, you know, that's... coming out of the black church is coming out of the tradition of, you know, the black pen or in general, like if you, if you go to any black church, you're yeah. going to hear, can I get a witness? Yeah. And so how do we, you know, for me as a black person and improvising while black and, you know, that, that in and of itself is a hustle, bringing that into dance, bringing that into the experience of, of of awakening, yeah, is is part of is part of the work that I'm really like kind of digging into right now. Yeah, that's that's fucking smart. That's good work, sister. It really is. I think you know while you were talking, I mean, just from like my own my own background, growing up, uh, we used to go to the Kingdom Hall. We were Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. and it is not a religion that I subscribe to anymore. Nor do I subscribe to Christianity right. in general. But um, to say that those formative years did not have a profound impact on, on who I am right now would be um, a total misrepresentation of the truth. But in terms of hearing you talk about what it means to be a witness, right? I mean, uh, one thing I will say about JWs is that they, they go out and they witness, right? <laughs> and so, because <laughs> they do. I mean, and, witness. yeah, I mean, and they, <laughs> they go, I mean, they don't witness as in like they watch what's going on. They go out to other people and they knock on their door. And I spent a lot of time doing this when I was a kid. Yeah. And they witness to them about yeah. what is happening. And so I was really, I was really feeling what you were just saying a second ago, because I, I think that's 
it's super important. You know, the, I hear all the time, well, not all the time too much anymore. It used to be a, a lot more than it is now about people would put together witness groups, right? And, and like social justice witness groups, and they would just go to this place mm -hmm. and kind of look at what was happening. And that is, that's not good. I mean, we have to be able to think about witnessing not as a passive mm -hmm. activity, but as an, you know, a, an active activity. Yeah. yeah. I'm really, I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate what you just said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's complicated for me because I do, I did grow up in the church, yeah. right? When I go into a teaching space and I bring up this invitation, mm -hmm. I make it clear we're not in church. Yes. I, I'm not a Christian. Right. I, you know, I am, I'm a, I'm a person. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't condone what has happened in the name of Christianity. No, I understand. And yeah. so I have to make that really clear. Yeah. Like this, this is, this is something different. Yeah. But also I had this experience. And so I'm reclaiming it for myself. Yes. And in that reclaiming, I'm also acknowledging that I transgress. Yeah. Because within the context of the religion, it's not okay to do it. Right without God or right. whatever. But what I'm saying is that I, I, we, yeah. the people, yeah. we, the people, yeah. power to the people, we have a duty. Yeah. And that duty is to get real with ourselves and to get real with the world about what we are going to do. Yeah. And so, if if we can start with witnessing and understand what that is and what that means and the power of that uh, and of being witnessed, then that could be the first step to repair work. Yeah. Because that's what needs to happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when I, I went to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, it was my first time being on the on the continent mm -hmm. it, it was uh at the beginning of this year it was in january and for the first time in my life i was in a place where i could see my own history yeah reflected in yeah. the history of this other place yeah and i never had had that experience so strongly yeah because i I don't think there's any other place in the world that is so where the history of that place is so parallel to the history of the United States. Yeah. In terms of You mean South Africa specifically. South Africa. Yeah, yeah. The 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 system of apartheid. Yeah, yeah. The racial system of apartheid was based off of you know Jim Crow and the the racial systems here in, in the United States. And so here I was in Johannesburg and I'm like, I am. And it was like being in a hall of mirrors. Yeah. I was, I, that was when I really understood this concept of witnessing mm -hmm. because here I was seeing and witnessing the destruction of this country, of this land. Yeah the theft 
yeah. the, the level of theft that happened there, you know, um, black South Africans working in mines, yeah. mining for gold and diamonds yeah. for Europe, like in the whole landscape is, 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 is defined by the, these mines. Right. Yeah. And then the townships and the, and the, and you know, and it just, and it just went on and on and on and on. And I went to the apartheid museum and then I come to the point where they're talking about truth and reconciliation. And I just lost it. I'm like, first of all, how can you get to reconciliation without the truth? Mm-hmm. I condone what they did. I mean, not condone, but like I, I appreciate the effort. Yeah. But they didn't get to the truth. Right. So they couldn't get to the reconciliation. Yeah. And that being able to just kind of like be in that space and, and, and get so incensed and so like so much rage filled my body. And I was like, wow. I'm witnessing myself and my feelings and my reaction to this regime that is supposed to be over, but it's not over. You know, they're still dealing with apartheid there in a way that I can't witness it in my own country because I'm too inside of it. Yeah. But now that I'm here, I can feel the rage. I mean, of course I feel the rage in the United States, but I didn't, I can't feel it in the same way here being in it, being outside of it and seeing the parallel trajectory of the mechanism of white supremacy in another place. It just gave me, that is why I am so convinced that we have to do the work of witnessing because I was, like I said, I was in the hall of mirrors. I'm like there, I'm like realizing Everything came crashing down. I thought truth and reconciliation <laughs> worked from far away yeah. from when I was, you know, studying, you know, apartheid and what happened and, you know, the movement. And I mean, I knew that there were still problems in South Africa. And, but just being there and feeling the reverberation and the echo of <sighs> devastation and, and failure of that project of reconciliation yeah made my antennas go up and gave me a totally different view of my own experience here in the united states yeah and so i say that to say that we need to get outside of what what we've experienced we need to step outside of it into other kinds of ways of seeing to fully comprehend what it is we're dealing with because being in it i know i can't fully comprehend it once i stepped outside of it into another country that had this kind of history that really like i said showed me what it was that i was dealing with yeah. in a different way yeah I, there's no turning back. Yeah. There's no turning back. 